0: Good morning. We're extremely glad you're here. If you're a visitor with us this morning, as always, we want to welcome you and let you know we count it a huge privilege to worship uh, with you this morning. Um, If you're visiting for the first of a few times or the first time, this is a little visitor kiosk. There will be someone attending that at the end of the service if you'd like to find more information about what's going on around here and how to get plugged in. We're going to be in Psalm 16 this morning. Um, You can go ahead and turn there. But before I pray, given the content of Psalm 16, the fact that we're talking about delight and the fact that it has to do with delight together, it seems fitting yet again to let's stand and greet one another. It's the summer months. People are coming and going. You may not have seen some of these people before, so y'all stand up, say hello to people, make sure everyone has been hugged or gotten a handshake or a hello. Hello. You can make your way back to your seats. All right. Let's reel it in. There's always the threat that it gets out of hand. I know that. As I said, we're going to be in Psalm 16, particularly verses 7 and 8. Let's pray together before we dive into the text. Lord, we count it a privilege to be here this morning and to worship you. We know that you are with us, and we know that that means something significant. And My hope this morning is that through the text, we will understand more the significance of your presence with us. Lord, as always, we want to pray for another church. We pray for Grace Church. We pray for Pastor Adam over there, and uh, we just pray that they are enjoying you this morning. I pray that he's had a wonderful week. Uh, with you in preparation for the sermon, I pray that their worship service is wholehearted. I pray for he and his wife that they're enjoying you together and living together in an understanding way, and that and uh, that their their marriage is Christ centered. Um, Lord, what a privilege it is to have partners in ministry so so close in proximity, um, serving wholeheartedly week after week. I pray that you would bless their time together. Lord, I pray that you would continue to do away with any spirit of competition that exists between churches in Greenville, and we would realize we are on the same team. We love you very much, and we humble ourselves before you this morning, praying these things in Jesus' name, amen. In Psalm 16 this morning, we're going to be considering the realities of delight, and there's going to be some things presented this morning that may be a challenge for some of us in as much as we will have to ask Do we really delight in such things as the psalmist does? Have you ever noticed how it is a lot easier to delight in life when things are going your way? Like when things aren't bad, it's a lot easier to find delight. My wife and I recently went with some friends to an all inclusive resort for a few days to enjoy our 15 year anniversary. It was the first time in 15 years to do anything like this, and the whole all-inclusive thing is amazing. Amazing. We're talking about delight this morning. Generally, things go your way at the all-inclusive resort. Like A lot of life is, I want what I want when I want it. The all-inclusive resort is, I get what I want when I want it. Anything you want to eat or drink, they just bring it to you when you ask for it. And there are times when you don't even have to ask, and someone magically appears with the very thing you were just thinking you wanted. We hadn't been there for an hour. I was sitting under a thatched-roofed cabana, listening to the waves, feet in the sand. Everything was perfect. Nothing was out of place. The, The landscaping, the foliage was all green. The paths were clear. I wasn't having to cut up anyone's food for them or change anyone's diaper. And I just had this thought. We had not been there one hour, and I had this thought. God, I am sorry that I have ever complained about anything in my life. I'm sorry that I have ever complained about anything. This is so delightful. Like, seriously, Lord, my life is amazing. And you're just so good to us. I can't think about why I have ever had any reason to do anything but be thankful In this delightful moment where everything is just going the way that I want it to go, God, I'm really sorry that I ever complained. You're only good to us. And the experience continued. Every morning, someone else would make me a fresh omelet with fresh mango and chilled pineapple and papaya. (laughs) They poured my coffee for me, and they would never let it get down to the bottom. And then after I would enjoy my delightful breakfast, I would just go... And just sit. That's it. I have five children. That's a magical thing to just sit. And the only decisions that I really had to worry about were were where to sit. How long to sit for. And if there was anything that I wanted to do other than just sit and just breathe in the ocean air. Delight was easy to come by. Because in an all-inclusive resort, things are generally going your way. Now, fast forward to our first morning back. The alarm goes off at 6 a.m., and my very first thought, how the heck am I supposed to start my day without fresh mango and chilled pineapple? Who is going to make my omelet? That stinks. Man, this stinks. I'm going to have to pour my own coffee. And then I walked outside to find that the construction that's been going on in our neighborhood had ramped up while we were gone, and now there's a porta potty in my yard. And my thought was, well, isn't this magical? Yes, all of you construction workers who I already wish were not here, please, when you need to relieve yourself, do so in my yard. Oh, how quickly we can shift from, Lord, I'm sorry I've ever complained about anything, to, man, I'm getting ripped off today. Why does God hate me? Why can't things go my way? Today, we're going to be talking about the delight that one can have, even when the situation is not all-inclusive. Even when the situation is desperate, look with me at Psalm 16, verses 7 through 8. The last few weeks we've considered Psalm 16, and as we read these verses, I want y'all to remember that a psalm is a song that has been written after some experience with God by his people. The psalms are emotional, and they invite you in to sing along and feel what the psalmist feels and think what the psalmist thinks. So... Ask those questions of yourself as we read verses 7 and 8. Verse 7 and 8 say, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. If you, if you just read those verses sort of out of context, you might think, man, this dude must be at like a resort. This dude must be just living the good life. Things must be going this guy's way, but that's in fact not the case. To understand what we're looking at in these verses, we have to take a few minutes to recap where we've been in the psalm so far. Like If this is your first week with us, you need to understand what happens in the first verse of this psalm that got us to the seventh verse of this psalm. And In the first verse, we see the psalmist opening with a cry for preservation, Preserve me, O God. That is a desperate situation. I expressed when I first preached that first verse that my son asks me for help all the time. Can you lift this? Can you you help me with this? But never have I heard my son say, preserve my life, my father. And so for the psalmist to be saying this to God indicates a desperate situation. This is the beginning of a repeated cycle. And a theme in the psalms that if you're taking notes, you need to write this down. It's a theme that we see over and over again of desperation... Dependence and deliverance. Desperation, dependence, and deliverance. A lot of times we love deliverance, but we're less comfortable with dependence and we're even less comfortable with the moment and the seasons of desperation in our lives. So in this moment of desperation, where something threatens to triumph over David, he cries out to God for refuge and he expresses a deep delight in the people of God. He says, as for the saints in the land, they're the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. And what we learned in those first two weeks in this psalm was that it's impossible to lean into God and away from his people. Sometimes we try to do that. I just want to be closer to God and I just need all the people to leave me alone. But it's not possible to lean into God and away from God's people. And this, then last week, Brad Cardwell showed us how the psalmist shows the difference between walking with the holy people of God and leaning into worldliness and trials. And the main point that the psalmist made was that he would not go elsewhere for peace and for comfort and security. The reason for this was that the psalmist had found contentment in the Lord, with the Lord as his portion and the Lord as his cup. And the psalmist even expresses that the lines had fallen for him in pleasant places and that he had a beautiful inheritance. You see, the next two verses that we're considering this morning don't make any sense unless we read them in light of these previous verses. In verses 5 and 6, in David's expression of contentment with with the providential hand of God, that's, that's a phrase I want you to put in your notes if you're taking notes, the providential hand of God. In David's expression of contentment with the providential hand of God, it's then and only then that he can move on to delight, which is what we're talking about this morning. What that means is that David, the psalmist, must firmly hold on to the reality of the providential hand of God, for without contentment, there will be no delight. Without contentment, there will be no delight. So what is this providential hand of God? It's, he says, the Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful Inheritance. David expresses the providential hand of God in two ways that we must understand to make sense of the two verses we're looking at. First, he says, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places now. There's a perspective now. And second, he says, he knows he has a beautiful inheritance later. So this providential hand of God has an effect on the way David views the way his life is now, where he lives, what his job is, who his spouse is, who his children are, the trials that he's facing, and also a later on this eternal inheritance. Or to say it another way, David has an eternal perspective that rightly informs the hand that he has been dealt in life right now. I think if we're, we're saying, can we sing along with this? Is this part of our song? I think that most of us don't have a problem identifying with David on the excitement and the encouragement of the reality of an eternal inheritance where we will one day experience perfect union with God in Christ. That's not hard to get fired up about, where there is no more sorrow, no more tears, no more sadness, no more sickness. Yes, I praise the Lord for an eternal inheritance. I don't think that's as hard to do, but I wonder if for some of us it may be more difficult to say, I delight in the providential hand of God in my life being the way that it is right now. The former perspective may be more challenging for some of us. Is this part of our song? Can we sing this with him? The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Do you find your life to be a pleasant place? You see, for the psalmist... This is an appreciation for the providential hand of God in dealing you the cards that you have been dealt in life. The expression is this I believe that my life is the way that it is because of the good and providential hand of God, which is contentment. The psalmist, in the desperation of having to cry out to God for preservation. With the same breath says, my life is this way. I am in a moment where I'm having to cry out, preserve me, O God. With the same breath, he says, my life is this way because of God. There's a reality here, sort of a dual reality that that I, I am in this because God has placed me in this. This trial is because of God. This sense of desperation even has something to do with God's providential hand on my life. This thing that I would have never chosen for myself, had I been given the choice, was in fact chosen for me by God. Just sit with that for a minute. All of us have things that we have faced that the psalmist is speaking to. And he, he is saying, just just listen to what he says and, and consider, can you sing along? This thing that I would have never chosen for myself. This thing that I would have never chosen for my children. This thing that I would have never chosen for our family. Maybe, in fact, the thing that God, in his wisdom and in his love, has chosen for you. And his providential hand is only good to his children. Our Lord never gives us that which is bad for us, and I think it's clear that the psalmist believes that. So yes, in these trials, in my life being made up of some things that I would have absolutely never chosen for myself, the psalmist says, I know That my God has chosen these things for me, so the lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. I'm content. The inward disposition of my soul is that God is enough to such a degree that He writes a song about it. I think what He's showing us is that it is hard, if not impossible, to delight in something with which you are discontent. I mean, I'm looking around the room right now, and I know of people who have faced and are facing significant trials and, and facing the kinds of things, the kinds of things in life where you're like, man, I got dealt a hand, and I, I don't know if I like this. I would have never chosen this for myself. I'm looking at faces that have gone through the trial and are on the other side, and I'm looking at faces right now that are about to be in the thick of it. And here what we see is that it is impossible to delight in something with which you are discontent for the psalmist. It is only in the contentment that we see the psalmist make a transition to delight. That's why the title of the sermon is contentment to delight. It's only when there's contentment then that you can then transition into delighting something or someone. And in verses 7 and 8 we see delight in three things in particular. So here's the first thing. First The psalmist delights in God's constant presence. If you're taking notes, write that down. The psalmist delights in God's constant presence. Not his occasional presence, not his every now and again visit to my situation, but in God's constant presence. We've seen an eternal perspective, and now what we see from the psalmist is a continual awareness of God's presence. The psalmist says... I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. I have set the Lord always before me. He is at my right hand. In every situation and circumstance of life, I want God right here. Not in the wings. Not behind me. Not just a distant thought in my head. always before me right here. A continual awareness and eagerness for the presence of God. He is at my right hand. When I need to do something, I want him guiding this to do it. The psalmist delights in God's presence. So if we were to go back to the first verse of the psalm and put all this together, the psalmist would say, God, preserve me. I cry out to you. I have no good apart from you. My good cannot make it to you. But right here in this desperate situation and every other trial and desperate situation, you are always here. You are always before me. You are always with me. You never leave me. You never forsake me. You are always at my right hand. The psalmist doesn't assume that because things are going wrong or not as planned that God has abandoned him. Please see that this morning. We're talking about delight. We're talking about, do we buy this this song? If this is a song that he's selling on iTunes, are we going to click, yeah, I want that? He's saying... Don't assume that because things are going not as you planned or even wrong or even terrible that God has abandoned you. Rather, just as the providential hand of God always has him where he is, so the God of the providential hand is with him. He is constantly present. And the psalmist says, though I may not delight in the hard circumstances, I do delight in my very present God and all of them. But the question we have to ask is why? Why? Right? And we're talking about we're talking about moving in a way that's completely counter to our world. We're talking about a completely countercultural response to when things stink in life. And so he's saying, "I delight in the presence of God, but I think it just we have to ask why. Why is God's presence a big deal? We say it all the time. We acknowledged it this morning. When we worship, we acknowledged it when we began the sermon. We acknowledge when we enter into a time of corporate worship that God is here with us. But I would ask, so what? Why does that matter? When we heave up empty phrases that have no heart to them, it is not worship. Why does it matter that God is with us? Is it just about the way we feel because we know that he's with us? Is it just about the way we feel because of that knowledge that we have that maybe others don't? Is it more than warm fuzzies because God's with us? Is it anything beyond our emotions? I think the psalmist is explaining that it's because of what we get from God when he is present with us. Here's what I mean. The psalmist says this, I bless the Lord, look at verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel, and in the night also my heart instructs me. The second thing that the psalmist is delighting in, the first is the presence of God, and the second thing that the psalmist is delighting in is the counsel of the Lord. Delighting, excited about, encouraged by, just really enjoying the counsel of the Lord. He says, God, we are glad you are here because we don't always know what to do. Like, hopefully this is something that we can really identify with. If you're sitting there thinking, I don't usually need the Lord because I generally know the right thing to do in all the circumstances. That's not how the psalmist is. If if you're thinking, when it comes to making a decision, I've read enough of my Bible, I don't actually need God in that moment because, well, I'm I'm good to go. I'll figure it out. I've got fortitude and perseverance and steadfastness. We'll, we'll get through this. And here we see a deep delight in counsel. God, we're glad you're here because we don't always know what to do. We need your counsel and we need your wisdom so that we know what to do. That's what the psalmist is expressing here. Do do we need to be still and know that you are God right now? Are, are we supposed to sit down and be quiet and watch you do what only you can do? Is that where we are, God? We need wisdom and counsel. Do we need to take action? Do we need to do like we found last week and go and steal Saul's spear so that it can be an example of God's deliverance from our enemies? Do we need to go and hide in that cave over there, God? Do we need to pray more? Do we need to put a team together and execute a particular task? If so, God, what is the task? This is the desire for counsel. This is the delight in counsel. God, what do we do here? God, my kid is sick. What am I supposed to do? I've got ten options for doctors. What am I supposed to do? God, my marriage is struggling. What am I supposed to do? Do we need to say something? If so, what do we say and how do we say it? This is the way that we express dependence and are led to deliverance when in a desperate circumstance we delight in the presence of God because in it we are blessed with wisdom, we are blessed with counsel, and we are blessed with the mind of God. One of the movements of the is to think God's thoughts after him and apply them to life, as it says in James, to be not only hearers of the word but doers of the word. We need God's counsel. The psalmist needs God's counsel because he needs to know what to do. And it's not always a counsel that comes easy. You might be thinking, yeah, heck yeah, I want God's counsel. Hook me up. What you got? It doesn't always come easy. This is the hard work of faith. He says, in the night also, my heart instructs me. Is there anyone in here who loves sleep as much as I do? And you just see that and you're like, no, don't instruct me at night. Can this not happen during the day, God? God, I don't, I don't sleep well anyway. We can't have this instruction and wisdom going on at night. I love sleep. In the night, also, my heart instructs me. Sometimes it is enough to just pray briefly, and God will give you direction in the moment. Sometimes that's how it happens, but other times it's not how it happens. At other times, it's not enough. The desire and delight in God's counsel here for the psalmist is so significant that it drives him to think and to pray and to meditate and to dig and to claw and to consider and to think some more and to pray some more to such a degree that the thoughts of God and the words of God are so ingrained in the psalmist's head and heart that he can go to sleep at night, wake up the next morning, And have more insight than he had when he went to sleep because his heart instructed him with God's counsel as he slept. That's a big deal. Do any of us do that? I want God's word so inside of me in my heart and mind that even while I'm sleeping, I may wake up with more insight than I had when I went to bed. Like for some of us, we just need to be like, oh, I didn't know that was a reality. I didn't know I could do that. I didn't know that God could instruct our hearts While we sleep. Admittedly, I've had only a few seasons of life where I found that happen. But they were sweet, knowing that God was at work. One of the psalms we pray with our children regularly is, In peace, I both lay down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. We spend a third of our lives in bed asleep. God made you that way. But it's not wasted time. It's time for rest, and apparently it's also time for growth and for knowledge and for insight and wisdom and counsel from the Lord. So there's this reality here for the psalmist that his heart instructs him as he sleeps. So his sleep, the other part of that, may be interrupted. And his time at night may need to be spent meditating upon the Lord. We know many other psalms where he says, I meditate upon you in the watches of the night. And that may indicate that it didn't happen while he was asleep, but that while he woke up, The reason for this is that the wisdom needed is more important than the sleep desired. I'm going to say that again. The reason that God might do this is that the wisdom needed is more important than the sleep desired. And all of these things bring us to the third thing that the psalmist delights in. Look at what he says in in verse 8, the second part. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be shaken. So the psalmist delights in the constant presence of God. The psalmist delights in the counsel from God. And here we see that the psalmist delights, delights in the stability of walking according to God's counsel. I will not be shaken. The psalmist is saying, I love it when God tells me what to do and I do what he tells me and I find stability and steadiness. In my life, what a delight it is to have an awareness of God's presence and in that presence receive counsel and wisdom that tells you what to do, and then you actually do it, and your life is more stable, less rocky, less uncertain. So, what we see here from the psalmist is a perspective where it appears that desperation is not the absence of stability. That's backwards in my head. I hate desperation. I don't like the feeling of desperation. If you've ever had a moment of, oh, what is happening? What do we do? I am a control freak, and I hate that feeling. I want to I I kill that feeling immediately and control the situation. Here's what we'll do. Stop freaking out. It's going to be okay. But that desperation leaves us uneasy. And what we see here from the psalmist is, apparently, desperation is not the absence of stability. So in a desperate moment, because of the presence of God and the counsel he brings, you can actually have stability, even though it's a desperate moment. You don't have to act like it's something that it's not. I just want you to think for a minute. This is, this is big, big claims from David, right? I mean, we know what his life looked like. We know what happened in his life. We know how hard his life was. So, you know, people ask you, hey, how's it going? What do you normally say? You say, fine, because you don't want to talk about him. Or a lot of us have a tendency to say, well, let me tell you all the things that haven't gone as I wish they would today. And we just kind of lay it out there. And just consider, at any point, anyone could have said, hey, David, hey, bro, how's life? And David could have said, well, lots of people want me dead. Saul wants to kill me. Absalom wants to kill me. There's a lot of people, even in my family, that want to kill me. Oh, and let's not mention how I really messed things up with Bathsheba, and her family's not happy with me. And, oh, how's it going? Well, I let Jonathan, my best friend, down in a terrible way. He had to tune me up. I don't even know for friends anymore because of what he said to me. And I've I've let a lot of other people down as king. Frankly, my life is not what I wished. It's shaky. It's uncertain. I really felt like maybe I've been dealt a bad hand because this is not what I had in mind. David could have easily said all that. We have the chronicle of his life in the scriptures. It was hard. There were lots of ups and downs. But instead, he says, I have had lots of ups and downs. But because of God, there is stability. We should be stable people. I'm convicted by that. Sometimes I feel unstable. He says, I'm not shaken because God is with me. God gives me counsel and in it and in him. I delight. You don't have to be unsteady every day, even when things are hard. That's convicting. So, we've got four application points we're going to consider. The first application point this morning is this Do you delight in the constant presence of God, or do you feel like you only need Him sometimes? Application number one, do you delight in the constant presence of God, always there, or do you feel like maybe you only need him sometimes in some things? The psalmist presents us with a hard truth. If you are more aware of your problems or more aware of how things aren't the way you wished they were, if you are aware of those things more than you are aware of the presence of God, you're missing out on what's best for you. When people ask you how your life is going, do they hear about the presence of God or do do they hear someone who seems like they don't know God's even there? The contentment and delight that you desire cannot be found when you are less aware of God than the problems you are facing. As well, some of us just give up too easily. I mean, the psalmist is clawing at these things. The psalmist is is thinking and praying and meditating and letting it run him through so that when he's sleeping, he's still growing and being sanctified and becoming more Christ-like. And some of us just give up too easily. We have a desperate situation. We lob a prayer up while we're driving. Nothing gets better that day, so we draw away from God, and we draw away from God's people. We isolate ourselves and act like maybe following God wasn't such a good idea in the first place because if it was a good idea, life wouldn't be dealing me this thing, whatever it might be. All the while, he is there. That's the reality that the psalmist has here. All the while, when we do those things and we pull away from God, we pull away from his people, we begin to question our faith, we begin to wonder, does God even care about this? He's there. And he offers contentment, and he offers delight, and he offers counsel, and he offers practical help for your life that will make it more stable. This is why the psalmist gives such a strong warning not to turn away to the world for relief and comfort. Because when we turn away from God and we turn away from his people, we turn to the things of the world to try to bring relief to this uncomfortable moment of desperation that we are experiencing. It's incredibly easy to do. You don't want to deal with or think about your problems or your pain, so you go to drown your sorrows in everything from alcohol to video games to food to entertainment. Or even to just dreaming and longing for some different life. You'd find yourself sitting there thinking, this just isn't really what I had in mind. And you're leaning away from God in that moment. And all the while, God is right there offering you his absolute best. That's the good news of the gospel. You may be sitting here this morning completely steeped in sin like, I'm, I'm looking for any way to get rid of the pain in my life and the frustration and the heartache in my life. And I don't want God to have an ounce of it. And I want you to know he's sitting right there as a loving and heavenly father, welcoming you into his presence to help you. He sits there and he wants to give you his best, which is your best. I urge you to think about that. If you're in that place this morning, don't let that be a fleeting thought. The second application, which kind of piggybacks onto that, is before we can even talk about contentment or delight or counsel that helps us, some of us may need to reckon with the fact that we don't believe in the providential hand of God in our lives. There may be some of us here this morning, even professing Christians, who are like, providential hand of God, ha, I think it would be different, and it wouldn't be so hard if the good providential hand of God was upon my life. And some of us, if we're honest, would say, I've been gypped. That word that Brad used last week, I've been ripped off. I've been dealt the raw end of the deal here. I've gotten the raw end of the deal. Scott, you don't know what's happened to me in my life. You might be sitting there thinking that. This sounds like a great sermon, dude, but you have no idea what I've been through. You don't know how hard my childhood was. You don't know how hard my marriage is. Maybe because of my childhood, you don't know about the ridiculous expectations that I have to face every single day in my job, every day, sixty hours a week. Ridiculous expectations where it's never going to. You don't. You don't. You don't know what I'm facing. You don't know how I feel like I'm absolutely drowning every day as a parent. You might be thinking, if I'm honest, I wish God would throw me a bone. I've been waiting for a break for years, and it still hasn't arrived. And some of you, if you're really honest, you might say, I'm not even sure if God likes me. Like you're talking about this providential hand that's only good, and I'm sitting over here going, I don't even know if God gives two rips about all this junk I'm going through. If he cares at all. And if that is you this morning... And if you are perpetually discontent and finding it hard to delight in God or anyone else, your application for this morning is simply this. Be honest with God about it. Be honest with God about it. Let go of that burden and trust that God can handle how you feel. If that's you, trust that God can handle your emotions. That is wholehearted worship to go to God and say, if we're going to be honest, this is where I am. And a loving God receives that and he can handle that. He's not going to say, you get your act together and you come talk to me when you can change your tone. That's not how our God is. Our God is loving and he's mighty and he's sovereign and he's powerful. And there's no love, there's no part of his love that can be improved upon. And so you can go to him and say, God... I'm struggling with wondering if you even care about me. Give that to him and trust him to handle it as the sovereign one, true God, can. He can handle your feelings. He can handle your emotions. And as you confess that to God and you seek his help, maybe even reluctantly, know that what you are calling the raw end of the deal may in fact be the providential hand of God. We have to reckon with this in the psalm. This has been the case for so many saints in their passage through this world. So many have been plagued with thorns, trials, heartache that they do not understand. Many have been plagued with trials that seem contrary to a good God. And God uses those thorns. And He uses those trials. He uses the bad health He uses the heartache of being victimized. He uses the heartache of loss. He uses the heartache of of discouragement. He uses the heartache of a disposition of being depressed and, and sad. he can use all of that with his providential hand to create a sense of desperation that would lead you to dependence upon him, that would lead you to deliverance from your sin and delight in a present God who gives us counsel counsel and stability. Sometimes the thing that you would have never chosen for yourself is the very thing that God uses to bring you closest to him. Third application point is this. When God is present, which is always, do you delight in his counsel? Some Some other ways we might ask this question are, do you value sleep more than you value wisdom? It's a hard one for me. I'll take wisdom when I'm awake. Do you value sleep more than you value wisdom? Do you value freedom more than you value wisdom? I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. And if I apply wisdom, there's going to be some things I don't, I'm not able to do anymore because I know what God's word is on that. So let's keep that separate. Is there any part of your life that's off limits to God? Because frankly, you don't want his wisdom and counsel to enter that area of your life. I encourage you, just in the other applications, be honest with God about that this morning. Are you leaning into God and are you leaning into his people to figure out what to do to remain holy in times of trial and desperation? Or are you leaning into the world? Because you mistakenly think that your desperate circumstance must mean that God has abandoned you. The fourth application point is just two questions. Do you feel steady? If not, why do you think that is? In light of what we've heard in the text this morning, do you feel steady, stable? And if not, why why do you think that is? These applications aren't just things that you hear and then go to lunch and forget about. These are things that you write down and you think about and you go to your life groups and you talk through it and you get feedback from other people and you sit with your spouse and you talk through it and you get feedback from your spouse. You sit with your children and you talk through it and you try to give them feedback and and love them and encourage them and guide them in the same way that the Lord has done for you. They're hard questions, but I encourage you to be honest about them this morning. As we shift to take the supper... You can turn over to John 8 if you would like. You don't have to. I'm going to read these verses out loud. But in John 8, so far in the psalm, the psalmist has painted a picture of really wanting to know God's will so that he can do God's will. This is the main purpose of everyone who belongs to God. He, he sets us apart as a peculiar people that belong to him, his, his possession. And this psalm is a foreshadowing of what would be completely fulfilled in Christ. This psalm is quoted in the book of Acts. It's quoted in the Gospels. And we see that this desire to do the will of the Father is utterly, in essence, who Jesus was and what his life was all about when he was on earth as he drew us to himself and as he created a way to God through him. So look at John eight twenty-eight. It says this, So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority. That sounds like the psalmist. You don't hear the psalmist saying, I've got some authority and I'm going to do what I feel like I need to do. The psalmist says, no, no. I delight in God's presence because I delight in God's counsel. And here you see Jesus saying, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. It sounds like the psalmist, right? Jesus is saying, "I delight in the constant presence of my Father who is with me, who is telling me what to do so that I can go and do it. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him." And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. This is evangelistic in nature. When we're doing these things, when we are enjoying the presence of God, when we are enjoying the counsel, when we are applying that counsel to our lives, many will believe in God. That's how it worked with Jesus. That's how it works with those who belong to Jesus. And it says, so Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. I just want you to enjoy that this morning as we prepare to take the supper. God gives us freedom as he gives us truth. We can know truth because he is with us and he gives us counsel. So I think it's fitting this morning as we prepare to take the supper to spend a few moments examining yourselves. Asking God to show you how you can better cherish his presence, how you can better cherish his counsel, and how you can better cherish the steadiness that exists only in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that those things would happen as we distribute the elements. Lord, I pray that we would humble ourselves before you this morning as the psalmist has done, that we would let that be our song, and that we would delight in that which you provide through your presence, through the counsel, and the stability that comes through the application of it. Lord, I really pray for honesty as we take the supper, so that when we take the supper, we can take it cherishing Jesus. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.